0: And so, you know, for me, uh, that night was a culmination, was a rite of passage, you know, that I'll never forget is when my dad communicated how excited he was that I would given my life to Christ in service to Him.
1: Today on First Person, we're going to hear the testimony of Jim McBride. Welcome to our program. I'm Wayne Shepherd. We're here each week at this time introducing you to someone whose life has been redeemed by Jesus Christ and dedicated to His service. And you can learn more about First Person and view our scheduled upcoming guests at firstpersoninterview.com. Well, if you don't recognize the name of Jim McBride, just think back a few years to a movie called Facing the Giants and think of the burly opposing football coach in that movie who always had a candy sucker in his mouth. Well, that villain is actually a very godly man who is the executive pastor of Sherwood Baptist Church in Albany, Georgia, and the executive producer of the movies Facing the Giants, Fireproof, and a new one out soon called Courageous. Jim is also the author of a new book just coming out this week titled Rite of Passage, teaching parents how to extend a blessing and guide their children into adulthood. More about the book a little later in today's broadcast. Jim and I recently sat down in my studio and began talking about his background, how he came to Christ, and the difference that has made in his life. From the, the time of
0: 1930 own. My family always has owned a carnival business, all the rides, all the games, all the food concessions. And uh, that was the life that my father was born into. And so he lived on the road going week to week, different places, setting up and tearing down the carnival with his uh, father and, and brothers. And so I was born into that same Uh, family business of uh, the carnival from the time I was old enough to walk. That progressed until uh, the summer of my seventh year, I wound up uh, working at the uh, end of a haunted house I laid in a casket all day uh, for $10 a day. And when people walked by, there was a sign that said, this little boy has been stricken by sleeping disease. And they would peek in and I would slap the screen. And uh, that was my summer job all my seventh grade year. But I guess the real turning point for me was uh, when I was nine years old. And I came out uh, that year and my uncle had bought me an ice cream trailer Uh, It was a 15-by-10-foot trailer, and he basically started me in business on my own. Wait a minute. How old were you? Nine years old, and at that point, he said, I'm going to show you how to run the machines today, and then you'll hire and fire your own help. You'll pay your stock and and collect all the money, and I'll haul this truck from one place to the next each week
1: and set it uh, in spot. For you, but then you have to do everything else. Most so, kids start with a lemonade stand, yes. with paper cups. You started with an ice cream trailer with machines,
0: and uh, many weeks I we were playing state fairs mainly that year, and so um, many times I would have two other employees, sometimes three, depending on the day, and uh, many days uh, finish up with, uh, with eight hundred to a thousand dollars in my pocket that, and having to pay out all the stock, and so. A lot of times the milkman would come by and he would, uh, check to see if the stand needed any stock and I would say yes sir and he'd say no I need to speak to the owner and I'd say well I am the owner and and they would drive off and go find my uncle or my dad and and say hey we need to know if you need anything for that ice cream stand and they'd say well the man that runs it is up there go talk to him (laughs) and he said no it's just a nine-year-old or kid up there and he said well that's the man that runs it and so they would come back and I'd finally get the order but at nine, running that business, I began to learn some life lessons that my father uh, taught me about going the extra mile. If you're going to do it, do it, do it with excellence. It didn't take very many times of him coming and inspecting something and asking me to do it a second time till something uh, generated inside of me to want to do it to the point that when he walked in, he was in awe in amazement. Not that he said, hey, you need to do it again, but he said nobody's ever done it this good. And so uh, also another uh, thing that he taught me was looking for the person who's your supervisor or the person over you and just find out what their headaches are and find out how you can help eliminate those headaches. Well, and, you
1: learned these lessons early
0: then. Yes. And, um, and I learned, you know, if you're going to supervise people. I didn't have people working for me any younger than nine. So yeah, people mostly were adults that worked for me in the ice cream stand. And I learned if you're going to supervise people that are older than you, then you need to understand what respect is and honor because uh, people won't work for you if you don't have that. And so at nine, I learned a lot of life lessons. And it wasn't uh, long after that, uh, sometime around 12 or 13, that he began to let me drive that truck. Oh, uh, up and down the highway yeah, the trailer. What state were you in? Uh... <laughs> uh, probably shouldn't name the state, but um, at 16, he bought a Tilt-A-Whirl, which is a major oh, ride. Yeah. I've and ridden tra- many a Tilt-A-Whirl in my time. Yeah. Well, I transferred <laughs> then from from being responsible for an ice cream stand to being responsible for a ride and helping up that and, and take it up and down each week. So as a young man, did you think that's what life was going to be for you, the same as your I, father? Yes, and I uh, was told that often by the family you know that one day you know you're gonna be running this uh, like my dad was and uh, and that was a passion you know you you want to be a part of the of the family business, and that was a a big thing for me and when I got to through with high school and thought that was ahead where i for me where I'd be going um I wound up going into the United States Marine Corps and uh serving for six years, and somewhere during that time it um It added to what I'd learned as a young man. It added through that a sense of discipline, a sense of honor, courage. um, Integrity. Integrity, absolutely. And uh, and those things, accompanied with what I had early in life, uh, created some new aspirations. Powerful. Very powerful. When does the Lord come into your life, Jim? After the Marine Corps. I went to work for a cable TV company, managed it for a couple of years, and then I went to work for Coca-Cola, adding the principles that I'd learned of going the extra mile. I wound up very quickly becoming management, and I wound up in Burlington, North Carolina, and I hadn't probably been to church in eight years other than to a wedding or a funeral, and uh, the Lord wasn't really a part of my life at all, and uh, my wife, uh, who was Christian, we had four children. Uh, By that time, all under 10 years old, and she prayed for me. She invited pastors to come to the house to visit with me. Um, Many times they'd leave shaking their head, (laughs) but they uh, would come faithfully uh, each place we went. And while we were there in Burlington, I was sitting in my office one day, and I probably had, at that point, 120 employees reporting to me. While working there, one day I was sitting at my desk working on some reports and I heard someone out in the hallway and it was a supervisor and one of his employees was talking to him and he says, "Uh, Mickey, why don't you go to church with me on Sunday? And before Mickey could respond, I raised my head up. I didn't know what was happening then, but I know now. And I raised my head up and I said, well, Scott, his name was Scott Kafer. I said, Scott, why don't you invite me to go to your church sometime? And he said, well, Mr. McBride, uh, would you go? Would you go to church, <laughs> sir? <laughs> yes. And I, I said, well, sure. You tell me how to get there. So he he wrote it down and he gave me a list and I went home. And But what prompted you to want to go? You know, Wayne, I, the only thing I know is that uh, now looking back is the Holy Spirit was drawing me because, it had to be it. because I, I had no affiliation with anything of that mm-hmm. type and I went home and you know, I knew church growing up. I'd been to church, but nothing at that point. And I went home, and I told my wife, I said, we're going to Brookwood Baptist Church this Sunday. And when I revived her and fanned her <laughs> off, and uh, she she said, really? And I said, yes. And we're going to Sunday school. We're going to the whole uh, the, the shit match. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> so we went to Sunday school uh, that morning, and it was Super Bowl Sunday. Well, you know, I, I knew enough at that point. I, I wasn't dumb. I knew that I was a leader responsible for a lot of people. We walked in and went to Sunday school. Uh, When we were done with Sunday school, I I began to think, I've got to get out of here. And so I told uh, my wife, Sheila, I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to sit up in the balcony towards the end because, you know, I'm not feeling so good. I've got a pain in my shoulder. I'm I'm thinking I might have to scoot out of here before Uh this is over. So um, we get up there and the pastor starts talking. He said, it's Super Bowl Sunday whose team are you quarterbacking? Are you helping people head towards heaven or towards hell with your actions? And at that moment, it was like it was nobody speaking but Him directly to me. The Holy Spirit showed up again, right? Amen. And uh, (laughs) at that point, I began to say, you know, my my shoulder. I didn't feel any pain in my shoulder. and All I could think about was focusing on him. So I started staring at the carpet thinking, I'll just get this shoulder pain back and I'm out of here. And so he's saying at that point, he said, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're the CEO of a company or the sweeper in a company. There are people that look up to you. It might be your children, somebody else's children, a coworker, a friend, but there's somebody who's saying Joe is successful. And if I want to be successful, I need to model my life after Joe. Whose team are you quarterbacking, God's or Satan's? And at that moment, I'm thinking, I need to walk down there and talk to him. (laughs) But uh, I I wound up, I talked myself out of it uh, at the end of the service. But I told Sheila, I said, one thing we're going to do, we're going to come back here tonight. They were having a Super Bowl service. They were going to have their own commercials. <laughs> uh, I told him, I said, well, I'm going to bring you some Cokes that y'all can use for refreshment. Yeah, sure. so, so I'm beginning to get a little uh, comfortable, but I come back that night. I watch the service, um, the commercials, and the whole deal, and I leave and uh, still haven't made any decision. But that week, I just cannot get it off my mind, and uh, so I'm talking to anybody who will talk to me about what I heard Sunday. Well, I'm, Friday of that week, I left message at the back of the door of the Coke plant. I said, when these five men come in tonight, I need to see them. Well, usually those men would come in over a wide range of time, but that particular day, the first one came to my office at about 3 o'clock. And when he knocked, he walked in, and I asked him, I said, Tommy, tell me who Jesus Christ is to you. And he started sharing his testimony, and uh, it was almost the moment that he finished a knock happened on my door and the second man walked in and so uh, same scenario and all the way through to the fifth guy sitting in the room and he finishes up so at that moment when the fifth one uh, finished I told him I said you know guys there's nothing I need more right now than I need to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior
1: can you help me with that We'll continue talking with Jim McBride and learn of his heart as a father. That's coming up today here on First Person. Next time on First Person, we'll talk with a family who have turned their grief into comforting others. You know, God promises us, and we hold on to this promise, that He will use the hardest experiences in our lives, and He will use them for our ultimate good. He will use the worst things we can imagine for good, and we have just been so blessed to see Him do that. Nancy and David Guthrie join us to share their story of hope in the midst of grief. Join us next time here on First Person. We're talking with Jim McBride on this week's program. Jim's new book is out this week called Rite of Passage. God has given him the gift of leadership and good business sense, but I wanted to know about him as a father. After coming to Christ, and I
0: began to grow, and promise keepers was really uh, key in my life, And but I began to fellowship with a lot of men and begin to be in accountability groups and sitting in prayer groups. And one of the things I heard echo back and forth many times were guys saying, you know, I never knew if my dad really loved me, or I didn't know if my dad uh, was encouraged by what I was doing, if I really had his blessing. And so I heard that among men. I heard it with women. uh, And I said, you know, I want to do something different. You know, even with my own dad, uh, I knew that he loved me, but I wasn't sure when I left the carnival business and I went and all these different things Mm was where he was with all that because he wasn't very vocal about it Mm. and so many dads aren't yes that's right a lot of dads are quiet and it's like um, you you should know I love you and you shouldn't have to ask (laughs) and uh, I wanted to do something different to really give my kids a 25-year jump start on life, knowing that when they left my home that they were going forth with their father's blessing, with his love, with his encouragement, and uh, to surround them with a board of directors, if you will, that would provide spiritual counsel for them. I began to pray, and Sheila and I uh, discussed and prayed through, how could we do something different with our children, something that would be um, a rite of passage, a moment for when they would move and from uh, boyhood and and from being a little girl to being a man and a woman. When when God began to move you in this direction, how old were your kids? Um, my kids uh, at that point were in their teenage years. My oldest uh, was around seventeen. Yeah, and so that was something we began to pray through and and looking at the elements. I wanted to have some topics. That they would talk to that someone would talk to them about and as I prayed about it I began to line up this spiritual board of directors people that uh, when my kids needed uh, to hear from someone they would who would they look to if it not me and my wife but mm-hmm. this some other people around them and trusted so, people yes uh, the topics that came up for me and I suggest in the book that you know that these are flexible you may have different topics but mine were faith hope love, purity, integrity, and family. And so with those topics, that board of directors, I put a person with every uh, topic, asked them to pray through that topic, uh, what they would say to my child on that topic, and then give them an ebony or a memorial stone, something that would remind them in the future of that conversation.
1: When you stop and think about it, this is something that cultures have done through the ages, and we somehow have lost that, haven't we? Absolutely. Um, you know, many uh, cultures,
0: many uh, other faiths have some kind of rite of passage, some kind of moment that uh, marks that uh, child from moving from being a young person to being responsible. Mm-hmm. And so the, I talk about that in the book too, uh, the Masai tribe in Africa, bar mitzvahs and Matt mitzvahs and, and why there's a need
1: for us to do this. Mm-hmm. And so, um, being very intentional about it. And in your case, you actually have a almost a service that you go through with your kids, right? Yes, it's a ceremony,
0: and it's very intentional. Once I line up those uh, board of directors that are people that are familiar with them, once I line them up, I station them on a trail for the guys, and the the girls are in an in, indoor environment. But they go uh, start the day, I pray with them, And then I start them on the journey and they go and visit with each one of those people on those topics. The family person is someone that's uh, maybe a grandparent who talks to them and gives them that. But, Jim, you've
1: got to have a relationship with that child that uh, they will they'll accept this from you. They'll accept this ceremony from you. If you if you wait until ceremony time. To say here's what we're going to do, and you have no other relationship with them, they're going to reject it, aren't they? Absolutely. This this
0: ceremony is not the the end all. It, there's a lot of work that has to go on both sides of it. One to prepare your child and prepare their heart to receive it, but then also, you know, when you acknowledge that, uh, there's still a whole lot of parenting that has to happen mm-hmm. on the backside. It's just a point that where your child has a. I like to say that what I'm trying to change is when. Somebody sits down with my son or my daughter in the years to come, and they ask them, when did you become a man or when did you become a woman? Mm-hmm. Their response will be, when my dad said I yeah, was. Yeah. Or, uh, let me tell you what my dad did to
1: Well, that. Uh, I love it for so many reasons, uh, not the least of which what it says and what it communicates to, to the young person who's going through that ceremony prescribed by mom and dad. But also, to have those role models to look up to and to have those role models take that seriously so that they know that they're being called to be accountable in these kids' lives as well.
0: Yes, one of the key moments is when we finish up the journey and we go back to the house and we have lunch and then I take a moment to start around that table and I call out each one of those board of directors and I may say to Joe, Joe, I appreciate the prayer warrior you've been for me and for my wife and for our family. And I will, after I affirm him, I'll say, now Joe, I'm asking you if you'll stand and look my son in the eye and make the commitment to be that same kind of person for him. And we do that until all the way around the table, every man is standing and my son is sitting down. And at that moment, I look him in the eye and I tell him, I say, the enemy is gonna to try to tell you all your life that you're the only person that has your particular situation, you need to keep it to yourself and don't share it with anybody else. And God's Word said that there's wisdom in many counselors, and these people are standing, making a commitment to be count, a godly counsel for you and to pray for you. And so there's a time when a little boy stands, sits down, but I'm calling out the man in you to stand up and to look these men back in the eye and make a commitment back to them like they've made to you. This is for young men and young women. Yes, my daughters, when all those women are standing, standing up and I call out the woman in her a special moment that follows that is when uh, scripture says that a good wife is a crown to her husband's head. And after all that's their standing, I share with her that if she'll give me the liberty, I want to acknowledge that as the key man in her life right now, since she's not married, that I want her to know that she has been a crown to her father's head. And I pull out a full crown and place it on her head Mm. right before I pray
1: the prayer of spiritual blessing over her life as her father. Well, our listeners can read more about this as they say in your book, Rite of Passage, subtitled? A Father's Blessing. And it's wonderful. It really is. But before we leave, I want you to circle back to your own father. Going through what you've gone through as the father now, become that son again and talk about that. One of the great moments in my life I'll never
0: forget is the night um, I went to help my dad, he's still in the carnival business today. Uh, and even while I was working at Coke and then later in the church, I would take my kids and go to places he was, uh, help with the carnival business and let my kids get their you know, feet dirty, sure. you know, hands dirty, I whatever. That was great fun. Yeah, they, <laughs> they loved it. Uh, and one night when we finished up at around midnight, a chain of circumstances had led to me doing something um, with a ring that I had that belonged to the great uncle who started the carnival business and he had gave it to me and I'd felt led of the lord to give it away to his uh, his daughter and so I'd gave it away did not ask for anything because I believed that was what God was telling me and my dad had heard about it so that night when I let all the Kids go, and it was just me and my dad in Manassas, Virginia, underneath the stars, uh, raking up the trash out of the stand that he had been running all day. He called me over to his side, and he put his hands around me, and um, he said, "You know, you don't know that I know what you did uh, with that ring, um, and I want you to know that um, when you told me that God, you love God, that didn't mean anything to me. And I thought, oh my goodness, where's this headed?" And he said, "But when I saw you living for God, that meant everything to me." And he said, I, "I had this ring, and he pulled out the ring that I have on my right hand now. He said, I had this ring made, and it's made from gold that belonged to uh, several different uh, people in our family, and I had these seven diamonds put in it.' And is that I'm, the ring right this there? This ring on my hand. And he said, You know, I had this r- ring made as a symbol of your father.'" seeing you living and loving God. And I want you to have it as a gift from your father, and you have my blessing. And so, you know, for me, uh, that night was a culmination, was a rite of passage, you know, that I'll never forget is when my dad took me to his side underneath there and not only acknowledged me as a man and told me he loved me and and I had his blessing, but communicated how excited he was that I had given my life to Christ and was in service to Him.
1: You gave a blessing to your kids, and you received a blessing from your own father. Yes. How he, great is God? You can't outgive God. You can hear how tender this big man's heart is because of what Christ has done in his life. Jim's book will be released this week by Moody Publishers. Again, it's called Rite of Passage, A Father's Blessing. And we'll put additional information and links to the book and even a Facebook page on our website, firstpersoninterview.com. Jim is a member of the team at Sherwood Baptist in Albany, Georgia, which is about to release their latest film, Courageous, on September 30th. Following the success of Facing the Giants and Fireproof, Courageous will again challenge people spiritually through its excellent storytelling, and we'll provide links to more information at FirstPersonInterview.com. And between now and the film's release, we'll be featuring some of the cast members here on First Person. Our website, FirstPersonInterview.com, contains an audio archive and a schedule of upcoming programs, FirstPersonInterview.com or Facebook.com slash FirstPersonInterview. Next week, we'll talk with David and Nancy Guthrie. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. We'll see you next time here on First Person.